Genesis chapter 18, thought I'd take a look at Abraham, uh, the father of the faithful, the father of the Jews, father of Islam, looks to Abraham. Um, the chapter before this, God had changed his name from Abram to Abraham, the father of a multitude. And it says in 18.1, I'm going to read down to verse 19. 19 is what we'll really be looking at, but... The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door, notice that, the tent, in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door. And note, he bowed himself toward the ground. And said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from notice thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched. Wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that you shall pass on, for therefore are you come to your servant and they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened, notice, into the tent unto Sarah. And he said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham, again, notice, he ran unto the herd and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy, not, thy wife? Interesting, they knew her name. And he said, Behold in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken. Notice, not just stricken. They were well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed, within, notice, within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old as well? And the Lord said unto Abram, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear us a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And then Sarah denied, saying, evidently that she's letting him know she was eavesdropping. Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. And by the way, they're going to name the child Itzak, laughter, to remind her. And the men rose up from thence, and they looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. 
And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So uh, this passage that is brought before us about Abraham and his role in his family and in uh, the raising of his sons and so forth, important today because, you know, the, the American culture is stealing and robbing the father's role from our culture. If you're a Christian father, you're being portrayed as a radical, a fundamentalist, a threat to the culture. If you want to teach your children that there's morality, that creation is a reality, that marriage is between a man and a woman, you want to teach the simplest things you now are a threat to the culture, a threat to the nation, just trying to fulfill the simple biblical mandate Uh, that is handed to us to be a father, to be the head of the home, to do the things that we should be doing. And in the culture, it's saying, all right, you provide a place for your family to live, provide food and clothing, and beyond that, you just keep your mouth shut, everything's good. Paul would say this to Timothy, if any provide not for his own, And especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, an unbeliever. If any provide not proneo, the idea is to foresee, to perceive beforehand, to think beforehand. So the role of the father in provision, yeah, there's the material, but that's not... The, the emphasis on the role, the role of the father in the home is to foresee, to perceive, to think ahead of time for the family. It is the responsibility of the father in our culture to perceive what's going on in the world around us, to realize how close we may be to the return of the Lord, to teach his family and his household about the things that are coming You know, it isn't just provide the material and that's all you're responsible for. No, you're responsible to lead. And in leading, you have to perceive and you have to see ahead. And Abraham certainly is doing that. Statistics in our country tell us about what the world thinks fathers should be. And it's producing nothing. I mean, I looked in the... U.S. Census Bureau, the Department of Justice, you can look there, was all over Fox News this week, Center for Disease Control, Department of Corrections in different states. These are some of the statistics. Right now in America, there are 18.5 million children growing up without a father in the home. 18.5 million So the U.S. then owns the title as the world's leader in fatherlessness. The United States. Fatherlessness. We lead the world. That's our title. 80% of single-parent homes 
are run by a single mother. 25 to 30 percent of American youth are growing up with no father in the home. 25 to 30 percent. 85 percent of children with behavioral problems. 85 percent, no father in the home. 70 percent of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers, no fathers in the home. 70 percent. Substance abuse, incarceration for felony, murder, rape, drugs, whatever it might be, incarceration, social um, mobilities, economic difficulties, the number one common denominator in all of those things is no father in the home. In our incarcerated, our prison system in the United States, the number one denominator that all prison, prisoners have in common above everything else was they were raised with no father in the home. It's interesting, Denzel Washington said, I'll tell you the problem in Chicago, no fathers in the homes. He said, put fathers there and we'll see our cities change. If you're raised in a, in, with no father in the home, five times more likely to live in poverty nine times more likely to drop out of school, 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 90%, no father in the home, 63% of youth suicides in the country, no father in the home. So the culture can tell us all they want about fathers and fathers trying to set that example and live the way you know, the Bible says we should, but show us your t statistics. Show us what you're producing. It's not there. It's, it's a major plague in our culture and in our nation. Look, God doesn't expect fathers to be perfect. Nobody can bail out on me today. Okay? There's only one perfect father, and even he had a prodigal. We hear about that from Jesus. God doesn't expect any human father to be perfect. Abraham was not perfect. But what God does expect us to do is to walk with him. To be separate. Abraham was separate. He, he lived a separate right. He separated himself as God instructed him from Ur of the Chaldees, an idolatrous dark place. And as he lived amongst the Canaanites, he remained separate from their morals and their idolatry and the things that surrounded him. And God then points us to Abraham, the first specific place in the Bible that talks about rearing children and training them is in verse 19 here. And it's ascribed to Abraham, and it tells us then the primary responsibility of instructing children in the home belongs to the father, not to the mother. Dads to the father. Abraham gives us that first picture. And to teach the children by, we're going to see in his life, by example and by precept and by God's word. This is a man, his example was obvious to them. Deuteronomy 6 is going to say, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
and so forth. And it says, and teach your children to do that. Speak to them in the morning. Speak to them when you're in the way. Speak to them in the evening when you go down. You know, post it at your house. Put it between your eyes on your hands. You know, by example and by a consistency of life, teach them. You know, Abraham is the man of the tent and the altar. We know from Genesis 13, he is overloaded with silver and gold. He's extremely wealthy. 326 armed servants, flocks he had to separate from Lot. Wouldn't you like to try being overloaded with gold and silver just for a week? He's overloaded with gold and silver, but he lives in a tent. He lives in a tent. And everywhere he pitches his tent, he builds an altar. Because as his kids watched him and his servants, the tent defined his relationship with this world. And the altar defined his relationship with the next world. He's a man that could have set up a mansion if he wanted to, a palace. But he lived in a tent. And by the way, so do you. You may be spending a lot of money on it, but it's going to burn. It's going to turn to ashes. You're living in one as well. Not this one, although that's also a tent. But whatever your, your, your home is, you're also in a tent. It's temporary. Abraham did it in such a way it was noticeable. It says he traveled as a stranger in the land of promise because he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was looking for something, and he he says that his sons then, according to the promise, did the same. He taught them. And it wasn't just, oh yeah, this is not our home. They knew that because they grew up in a tent. They understood this was temporary. And he built the altar because he understood he wasn't perfect. He had come out of idolatry. He didn't have a resume that was very keen. And he understood that his acceptance with a holy God was through substitutionary atonement because some blood was shed in his place. So Abraham, certainly not perfect, but God does say this about him. Look, in verse 19, he says, For I know him. I know him. And the idea is in the Hebrew is I know him personally. I know him as a man. Abraham is someone that I know, that I'm familiar with. It tells us this in Second Chronicles. And it says, Art thou not our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? James will tell us much the same in his... Um, epistle, he says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. But to me, the most remarkable statement relative to that is in Isaiah, because in Isaiah 41, verse 8, it's in the first person. God himself is speaking. But thou, Israel art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. God himself speaking. And he says, I know him. I know he's going to command his kids. He said, I know him personally, 
Abraham, my friend. Is that interesting from God's side? Look, the only reason you and I can enjoy relationships is because we are created in his image and likeness and we are given that capability because the Trinity existed before anything. God is relational in and of himself and it is only because of him that we can love a wife, we can love a family, we can have a best friend, we can relate. And God says here, I know Abraham, I know him personally. He's my friend. Oh, that's so amazing. You know, if Abraham wasn't the friend of God, we'd have never heard of him. He didn't do miracles. He didn't have famous buildings. He didn't do any paintings. He didn't have a TV show. He would have lived and died in obscurity, and we would never have heard of the man except for his walk with the Lord. Imperfect man. He understood the altar necessary. An imperfect man who walked with Lord, and the Lord says, I know him. He was known in his separation. He was known in his walking with God. And fathers, in that walking with God, he was entrusted with something. He was entrusted with the right of a friend because there are things you share with a friend that you don't share with everybody else. And God says here, should I hide from Abraham? that thing which I'm about to do, Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham knew him. He knew Abraham. Verse 22, it says, The men turned their faces from thence, and they went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verse 25, Be, that, be it far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, for be, be that far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So there's a friendship. He knows God. He's not unjust. He doesn't do the wrong thing. He just, and, and yet, God says, look, I'm not going to hide from him, conceal from him what I am doing. It was already happening. What I am doing. Should I do that to Abraham? He's my friend. I know him. Interesting picture. If you and I as fathers have to understand that the closer we walk with the Lord, the more genuine our relationship is with him, the more he will reveal to us what he's doing in this present world situation. The father has to provide, see ahead of time, discern. And if we are the friend of God, he will be open with us. Jesus said this, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You and I are called the friends of God. Friendship, there are things that are shared that are not shared with everyone else. And God says here, I know him. Dads, look, it's up to you to lead your family both by example. Because a father who says one thing and does something else, hypocrisy produces bitter children, skeptics, critical. Because they see it's not real. So fathers have to lead 
by example. Doesn't mean we never make a mistake. Doesn't mean we never do something wrong. But our example is, hey, kids, pray for me. I blew it. Forgive me, I said this. I know this is not what the Lord wants. I walk with him every day. I hear from him. I'm convicted after this. And Lead by example. Lead by precept and by God's word. And if you want to know what's happening in our world, if you want to be the person in the home that can say, here's the direction we're going in, and that's why we're going in this direction, the way to know divine purpose for this present evil world is not to mix with it. It's not relevance. It's not to adopt its schemes and its speculations. And there's a large part of the church today that thinks it can be more relative to the culture by adopting its standards. That's completely opposite of what the scripture teaches. We are to be a completely separate, the church is ecclesia, the called out ones. We should have a completely separate environment that when an unbeliever comes here, they break. They realize there's nothing like this out there. There's light, there's love, there's truth. The the line of demarcation should be clear. And if we want to know what's happening in this present world, it's not like trying to be like them. It isn't going to them for the information. It's being separate, obedient to God's word. The more we know his mind, the more we will know his will towards this present world. You don't need to read Sodom's newspaper to find out what's happening in the world. Sodom doesn't really know what's happening in the world. Luke tells us this when he's talking about the return, Jesus talking about his return, that it would be like the days of Noah. But then Luke adds, which we don't have in Matthew or Mark, He says, likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, listen, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. You couldn't get accurate information from Sodom. They were buying, they were selling, life was going on as usual. You'd be ill-informed. I see people in the church, all they do is run to the world, run to social media, run everywhere to figure out what's going on. No, there's one way to figure out what's going on. Just walk close to the Lord. The blessed hope of the church has nothing to do with all that data out there. It has to do with this data and it has to do with the vertical Paul says, I don't need to write you, to you about these things. You yourselves know the, the times and seasons are well known to you. You know the days the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. You know what you need to know. And there's no sense going to Sodom to find out what's happening in Sodom because Sodom didn't know what was happening in Sodom. God will tell us about the world's character Number one, he will tell us about its course, the course that it's on. And he will tell us about its destiny without watching the news. We can know the character of the world. 
through the scripture. We can know the course that this present world is on, and you ain't going to change it. Doesn't mean we ever stop trying to be good citizens. But there's a course, and there's a destiny for this present world. And we're told, love not the world, neither the things in the world. All this in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's not of the Father. He gives us the best example for Father's Day. Then we're told this, verse 19, For I know him that he will command his children, masculine there, his sons, but it's a picture because it says sons and his household, after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken. I know him. And he's going to command his children in the language, the P-I-E-L the con, is a conjunction, but the verb means intensive and active. He's going to command. Abraham's not in the tent negotiating. He's not ruling. He's not a democracy in his in his family. He's the head of the family. He's a, he's the dad. He's not jostling or negotiating for a position where everybody in the tent's going to vote on what they want. It's not a democracy. Too many houses today they're voting. Everybody's got equal right. And the fathers are not leading. Dad's a great challenge for us. He says he's going to command, charge, give orders. It's, it's, it's a verb, again, that is intensive and active. He's going to be in charge. They're allowing that because he walks with God. He's already led by example. He's going to give command to his sons and his household after him, and they shall keep. They're going to guard. They're going to watch over. That's our word there. They're going to keep. And what they're going to watch over is the way of the Lord. The, the way, simply there, the road, the manner the course of life, the direction, what the Father is supposed to be adding. He who doesn't provide for his own is worse than an infidel. It says here that because they're instructed, they're going to keep the way, the direction, the road, the instruction that's going to come. He says, I know that. And he says, and they're going to do, not just talk about, they're going to accomplish. They're going to work out. That's the idea. They're going to produce justice and judgment. And the two English words give us a great picture of what the Hebrew is communicating. They're going to do what's just, and they're going to, they're going to understand judgment. There's going to be justice. What's right? What's right? And judgment. This is what happens. This is what you should do. This is what happens. 
that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken. The idea there is communication, to converse, to speak with another. Abraham was his friend. There are things that God had spoken about him. So Abraham taking this place, look, the, the primary thing here, his authority in the home, dads, was because he himself had a relationship with the Lord that Sarah recognized, that his servants recognized, that his sons recognized. He led in humility. That's recognizable. He's sitting in the tent when they come. He bows himself down, calls himself their servant. He, it says, he says to his wife, hasten, make this. He runs to the herd and picks out a calf. He's involved. He's, got all, he's, he's wealthy beyond our imagination. He has 326 armed servants, but him and his wife, who are old, well stricken, and he's running to be a servant. I'm 72. I can hardly run now. He's 100 years old. And it says there's a humility there. He's running. He's bowing down. Him and Sarah are serving. They're reaching out. They're opening the flap of the tent, as it were. That's recognizable in their lives. And I think as well, you know, in that humility, in all that, the relationship that Abraham has with God in their friendship, that's even, you know, there are those who would think that that's even improper to say, but God is the one who said it, Abraham, my friend. And he, wanted to walk, he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. They sinned, and he still came and spoke to them. And now God is still willing to be the friend of imperfect human beings and imperfect dads. Jesus, I no longer call you my servant, but call you my friend. And I'll show you in the long run what that, what that earns Abraham. Almost 30 years after this, God will say to him, Take now thine son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and take him to a mountain that I will tell thee of. In Genesis 22, first time the word love is used in the Bible, first time the word uh, lamb is used in the Bible, first time the word worship is used in the Bible, it's all jammed in there. Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and take him a mountain that I will tell thee of. And Abraham and three of his servants go. When they get there, the servants stay behind. Him and Isaac go alone. He's 130 years old. Isaac is 30. And Isaac says, Father, behold the wood. Behold the fire. Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice. And then it says, Isaac helps him build the altar. And then Abraham binds his son and lays him on the altar. This 30-year-old could have overpowered his father in a minute. So many times... 
when sons or daughters become adults, they feel like at that point they have some right to overpower. Isaac allowed himself to be bound because he was thinking, my dad has always walked with God. My dad knows how God is leading him. My dad is the friend of God. And he allowed himself even then, when he could have easily overpowered his father, to be led. The fruit there is is unimaginable as we look at it. So dads, great challenge in front of us, granddads, uncles, whatever influence you can be in the life of a a young man, young lady you know where the dad isn't there, if you can be the positive influence. The greatest threat nationally to this country is a lack of fathers in the home, so there's no fear of God. Greatest threat is not a nuclear missile coming over the North Pole and striking here. It says the might of a nation depends on its righteousness. The greatest threat is there's no fear of God. There's no fear of God because fathers are not being what God has asked them to be in the home and are not passing the baton to the next generation. Statistics are screaming those things to us. And God, he says, Abraham, I have heard the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen, if Sodom and Gomorrah were crying, imagine how the world we're living in is crying now. And he hears that. You don't have to think, oh no, where is he? Uh, He must not be there. Everything's out of control. He's more broken than you are about it. He's given his own son to be part of, to, to be the solution for it. And he hears the cry of Sodom today. Eddie, what he wants to know about us is that we're going to command our children to walk after him, to keep his way, fathers. That justice and judgment will be a normalcy for them. And that then he may fulfill everything that he's spoken about us and for us. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we say that. You are the best Father, our Father who art in heaven. And Lord, all of us together lift before you ourselves, if we're fathers, and all the other fathers that are here. Lord, that you would enliven them that they would walk with you, that I would walk with you, Lord. You'd make that more real to us. Lord, it's hard for us to imagine that you're going to tarry looking at the world. But if so, let us pass the baton successfully, Lord. Let us pass, Lord Jesus, to the next generation. Our friendship with you, Lord. 
the reality and power of your love. Your consolation of our destiny. Of the blessed hope that we have. Lord, please don't let it get lost in our generation. Forgive us, Father. For our lack of concern sometimes, for our lack of stepping up to the plate. Father, forgive us for time not spent alone with you, not well spent, not seeking your direction. Let those things be alive in us, Father. Let us be contagious with those things because they're alive in us. Let us have easy access to the hearts of our own because we have easy access to your heart. We trust you to do these things. They are beyond our reach, but we believe it is your will. And we pray in your name. Amen.